0: A lot of them. If you would keep your Bibles open there to Joshua chapter two, please. As you're doing that, if you're not here this morning, just a reminder for those that we're here and we're not here, there was a blue insert in your bulletin this morning. It's a special day we've set aside on the first Sunday in November, November the 5th, both morning service, gonna what we call Friend Day. And we're asking that you might, between now and then, think about any friend you may have, whether it be a neighbor, a relative, a fellow employee, somebody that you know, somebody you met that's not saved, that you invite them on that particular day, called Friend Day. And what I'll do that morning, I'll be preaching both morning services, and I'll do my best to give a message that will win them to Christ. You bring them, I'll preach the gospel, and hope for the Lord to save them. So we need your part. Your part is to invite a friend. So on the back of there, there's a, it says take an inventory and give you some ideas of people that you can invite and write those down and between now and then pray about, inviting them, pray that they might say yes and pray that they might come. I have two people that I've already invited to be my friend that day and I've invited them after the service to take them out to eat. Uh, sometimes food can bring them if nothing else does. <laughs> So I encourage you maybe consider something like that for your friend that you invite, some way to get them to come on that very special day. So that's called Friend Day. Be praying about that, and you just think if everybody brought one person, we could double the size of our service. And just think how many people potentially could be saved. So please invite your friends on that day. And again, we're asking that your friends might be unsaved. Bring an unsaved friend that they might hear the gospel and trust Christ as Savior. All right, Joshua chapter 2, please. Uh, typically, I have a PowerPoint or a handout, but I do not have that tonight because I, but maybe I'll be honest with you, I didn't know how to put this on a PowerPoint. There's really no uh, set uh, guideline here. Other than that, I want to call this Principles to Live By by Rahab and the Spies. There's principles in God's Word here that we can apply to our lives. And there are four of them I want to share with you tonight from this wonderful story. And I had Pastor Reed read the whole chapter so you can get an idea what's going on in chapter 2. Number one, the first principle I want to share with you is the balance between man's responsibility and God fulfilling his promise. The balance between man's responsibility and God fulfilling his promise. Look in verse 1, please. And Joshua 2.1 says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out I've sent him two men to spy secretly, saying, "Go view the land, even Jericho." Now, was this a good thing to do? Many people, some suggest that it was a lack of faith on Joshua's part, because God had already promised the land. In fact, this was what was called the Promised Land. God promised to them. Why would He nationally send spies in it to spy out the land? And was this a lack of faith on His part? And in fact, Moses did the same thing, did He not? Hold your finger right here. Go with me now to Numbers, please. Numbers chapter 13. And we'll see that Moses did the same thing prior to sinning, before when they first went into the wilderness. He also sent spies to spy out the land. Numbers 13 and verse 1. So Joshua was following the example that Moses had set to spy out the land before he sent his soldiers in there. In Numbers 13, in verse 1, please. Numbers 13, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I have uh, give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one of a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, all those men which were heads of the children of Israel. Skip down to verse 17, please. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up in this way southward. Go up in the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell there, whether they be strong or weak, many or few, few or many, and what the land is that they may dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether tents or strongholds. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether it be wood therein or not, and be of good courage and bring the fruit of the land. now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. But you notice Moses sent because God commanded it. So it was not a lack of faith on his part. Now Joshua took over Moses' place And now he sends out spies. So basically, the mission of the spies was to clear, to determine the nature of the land itself, ascertain the strengths and weaknesses of the inhabitants. So this was not a lack of faith on his part or Joshua's part. In fact, it was a wise action of the military leader of now of Israel. So many suggest it was lack of faith. It was not. Now, what can we learn from this? There's a proper balance between again man's responsibility and God's promise. God fulfilling his promise. Proverbs sixteen nine says this a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his step. On a national level, go with me now to Proverbs chapter twenty-one. Keep your finger on Joshua. Proverbs chapter twenty-one, please, verse thirty-one. Notice what it says here is a balance on a national level in order to protect oneself. Proverbs twenty-one, thirty-one, please. Here we see a, a proper balance. It says the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. What he's saying here is Israel prepared themselves for war, prepared themselves for battle, But really, safety is of who? Of the Lord. For example, is anything wrong with our country preparing itself military-wise? I'm so grateful when we have a president that makes our military strong because we don't know when anyone attacks. Is that a lack of faith? By no means. So Israel said, the horse prepared against battle. That's what man does. But ultimately, safety is of the Lord. So man should do everything he can do, but ultimately trust in God to keep him safe. How about a personal level? How about safety in our homes? Is it wrong for you to lock your doors at night? Or to latch your windows? Or is contrasting just keep them open and trust God to keep you safe? There's a balance there, is there not? I don't know about you, I lock my doors. I have an alarm system, I <laughs> So that's doing my part. But all the while, we trust God to keep us safe. So there's a balance uh, There. Faith in God does not preclude the discharge of our personal uh, uh, performance of duty. Someone said that the balance is this. You do everything that you possibly can do, but pray is all that depends upon God. Do everything that you possibly can do to keep yourself safe, to keep your family safe, but in the same way, pray is all that depends upon God. Uh, for example not only in your personal level and safety in your home, how about God supplying your needs? Philippians 4.19, I quoted this morning, but my God should supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a wonderful promise, is it not? But does that mean we should not work? I I had a a young man in Bible college who started the same time I did, and he went through the first year I did. And, uh, of course, I was working part-time at Publix as a bag boy to help pay my school bill. And I noticed he didn't work at all. He just stayed in his room and just went out and played sports. <clears throat> and I asked him, uh, do you have someone paying your bill for you? No. I said, do you have a job? No. I said, well, "Why aren't you working? I'm trusting the Lord. <laughs> and by the way, he only lasted one year. <laughs> so there's, uh, God was supplying me, but notice in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, it said, for even when we were with you, thus we commanded that if any man would not work, neither should he eat. So the balance is, yes, you need to get to work, but trust God to provide. You that are heads of your home, it'd be very wrong when your part to sit at home and say, God's going to provide all my needs. I don't have to work. He said he'd supply for me, and I'm just going to sit back and relax. That is wrong. The proper balance, again, is that you do everything as though if it depends upon you, but pray as though if everything depends upon God. That's the proper balance. And, and so, again, the good rule, work as if your safety or your needs depend on all, all you, but trust and pray as though if it all depends on God. That's the proper balance. Now, interesting note. Each point, I got four points, but each one of them has an interesting subnote, And I find very interesting. Go back to Joshua, please. Back to Joshua. In chapter 2, verse 1, is the latter part of this verse. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, going, saying, Go view out the land of Jericho. And notice here, and they went and came into and what? a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Now, the question is, what were these men doing staying in a harlot's house? Of, of all places, they, did anybody catch up besides me? Yeah. What were they staying there? Interesting, again, Proverbs 69 Man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his step, steps. I believe personally, there's not say this, but this was God's direction. Because I'm going to share with you this harlot was seeking the Lord, and this harlot got saved. And I believe God knew that. So of all the places for these men to stay when they went into Jericho, God led them to stay with the prophet. I believe this is God working in her heart and her life to eventually bring her to Christ. I would not recommend that if you go into a city and have some place to stay. (laughs) But I believe God had his hand in this. And we're going to see later that she, God was already working in her heart. And we're going to show you in scripture that she eventually came to Christ as Savior. So what were they doing in the heartless house? I believe this was God's direction because he was working in the heart and life of the prostitute. Number two, the second principle. We saw the first one between the balance between us working and God providing. Number two, the question, why are there so many difficulties when I'm trying to serve the Lord? You ever wondered that? Why are there so many? I'm trying to live for Christ. I'm trying to serve him. And see, like everything goes wrong. There's constant difficulties. Have you experienced that before? Look in chapter 2 and verse 2, please. Notice they were sent by Joshua into the, into the land. They found a place to stay. And in verse 2, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men and hither to the night of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of it, Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered thy house, and they... We come to search out all the country. Now, I bet they thought about, why did God allow that to happen? Here we're obeying Joshua. We're coming to aspire out the land, we're trying to do it very secretly. And the king finds out. How he found out, we don't know, but he knew all about it. And he knew where they were staying. And sent men to the, her house to, get, to take these men captive. So the question is, why are there so many difficulties when I'm trying to serve the Lord? These men are trying to serve Joshua and the Lord, and yet, look what happens to them. For example, and this happened to me one time, or the uh, some guy I went with, a dog bites you when you're out going soul winning. Why would, they, why would God let that happen? We were going to a person's house, we are going to go witness, and a dog, in fact, there was a big dog in the house. We could hear it we, by the sound of his barking. We know it wasn't a chihuahua; It was some big dog. And he was just barking, and so we kind of gradually walked up to the door, and, and, uh, and this dog was in the window. The window was open, and the screen, and we, had, we knocked on the door, and this dog jumped clearly through the screen, <laughs> tore out through the screen and toward us, and uh, we ran, <laughs> and, uh, he was, and so there was a car there. I jumped up on top of the car, on top of the roof, And this dog was after the other guy and got him and grabbed hold of his thigh and was a bit in bed. And so the person came out of the house and got the dog and took him away. And, of course, we didn't do any visitation that night. We had to go to the doctor. (laughs) So we asked, why did this happen? Why did God allow this to happen? We're serving the Lord, trying to do what's right. For another example, my stove quits working when I'm cooking for a needy family. Why would God let that happen? I have a flat tire when I'm going to church. Why did God that happen? Uh, in other words, even when we have committed ourselves and our calls unto God and are in the path of duty, we have no right to expect that we shall be exempt from trials and difficulties. You need to understand that. Turn to me now. Keep your finger Joshua. Go to 1 John chapter 5, please. 1 John 5. I'm trying to answer the question, why are there so many difficulties when I'm trying to serve the Lord? Every one of you understand that question, because serve the Lord is not always smooth sailing. Dog bites you. Fridge, you get a flat tire. Your stove quits working. And their part, the king found out and wanted to arrest them. But First John chapter five verse nineteen, something we should never forget. First John five nineteen. Not the Gospel of John. First John. It says, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in what? Wicked. Wickedness. What that means, when it says the whole world lieth, it literally means lies in the hands of the wicked one. The Bible says Satan is the god of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. This world which we live in, which we serve God in, belongs to him. The whole world lies in the hands of wickedness. The wicked one. You Remember the song you sang when you were in Sunday school? He's got the whole world in his hands. Now, when we sing that song, we're talking about who? God in heaven. But biblically speaking, who has this world in his hands? Satan does. And so we're living behind enemy territories, that he's the God of this world. The whole world lies in his hands, and we should not think that when we serve the Lord in his territory, nothing's going to happen. So basically, what I'm talking about here, why are there so many difficulties when I'm trying to serve the Lord? Because you're uh, working in the enemy's territory. Now, another interesting subpoint. Another Here's a controversial issue even among Christians that went on here. Let me ask you a question. Is it ever right or permissible to tell a lie? Is it ever right or permissible to tell a lie? The harlot did. Remember, the king came. In fact, let's look at it together. Look in verse 4. And I'll show you another example, people. Because based upon this, and I'm going to show you another example, many Christians say under certain circumstances, certain situations, it is permissible to lie. And uh, Joshua 2, verse 4, after the king sent someone there, the woman took the two men, and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark that the men went out. Whether the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them in the way to Jordan unto the fords, as soon as they which pursued after them were gone, after that she shut, they shut the gate. In other words, what did she do? She lied. <laughs> she, she lied. And many will use this circumstance, recording scripture, to say there are times and circumstances that it's okay for us to lie. Let me give you another example. Go with me now to Exodus, the Egyptian midwives. Those who believe this circumstance of the, the harlot lion, and also I'm going to show you that the Egyptian midwives, many people believe they lied, that they say the end justifies the means. As long as one's motives are right, it's okay occasionally to lie. I'm going to give you what I think about that in just a moment. But Exodus chapter 1, many of you know this story, in verse 15. Remember, God blessed the Israelites that when there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph, the next Pharaoh turned against the Israelites, and yet they continued to grow. In chapter 1 of Exodus, verse 15, And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew wives, which uh, of which the name of the one was Shifra, and the name of the other was Paul. And he said, When you do the office of midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son... Then you shall kill him, but if it be a daughter, you shall let him li- le- she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded, but saved the men alive. The king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, why have you done this thing and have saved the men children? And the midwives said unto, unto Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively. And our delivered ere the midwives, come unto, the, unto them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people uh, multiplied and waxed very mildly. So many believe that these midwives lied, and God blessed them for doing that. Now, I want you to notice, it didn't say they lied. What it said is, we, many people believe, they said, when we went to do our midwife services, they already had the kids. The Egyptian women take time having theirs, but theirs, they, they had theirs quickly. And some, that, that was not necessarily a lie. Now, someone said maybe they took their time to get there. <laughs> they, they knew the Egyptian, I mean the Hebrew women had their children quickly, and they didn't want to kill the kids, so maybe they took their time to get the house, and when they got there, they were already born. But it didn't say they lied. But many people believe they did lie, and they were based upon this situation... Also, that other harlot, that sometimes it's okay to lie. Is that true? No. Do you ever find a situation in life that it's okay to lie? No. I had a man tell me one time, I was visiting him, and he was asked that question, I, and I told him, no. It's never right to do wrong. It's never right to lie. The Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness. That's the law says that. And the Bible said the transgression of the law is what? Is sin. So to lie is sin. And he said, Pastor, I don't agree with you. If it, if it became against the law to be a pastor, and they were arresting pastors and putting them to death, and you're at my house and the, and the police come to my house and, and knock on the door and says, Pastor Peterson in there. He said, I'd lie to him. I don't want you to die, Pastor. And I said, well, thank you very much. I don't want to die either. <laughs> but God doesn't need your help to protect me. And God didn't need the help to protect, to protect those spies And God didn't need them help to protect the children. So it is never right to do wrong. It's always wrong to do wrong. And so don't ever justify lying for any reason. Basically, what I'm trying to say is our responsibility is to obey and leave the results to God. If the harlot had told the truth, could God still protect the spies? Of course he could. God can do anything. He could have blinded their eyes to the spies and they could not find them. Whatever the reason why, God protected them. God didn't need the harlot's help to protect the spies. And God doesn't need your help to do something. We just need to do right. It's always right to do right. Number three. Number three. The third principle. God prepares people's hearts beforehand for the work he calls them to do in other people's lives. God prepares people's hearts beforehand for the work he calls us to do in their lives. Go back to Joshua, please. Joshua chapter 2. Now look in verse 8. I'm going to share with you in scripture, God had already been working in the harlot's life prior to allowing the men spies to go there. Verse 8, please. Joshua 2, 8. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, and when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the king two kings of the Amorites, and it goes on to say, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. And notice the latter part of that verse. Notice how she responded. For the Lord, Jehovah, your God, he is what? He is God in heaven above and earth beneath. So God had already been working in the hearts of these people, especially this harlot. And when she saw what God did with the Israelites and how he protected them and used them mightily, fear fell greatly upon people in Jericho. And this woman come to the conclusion... Your God is the God of heaven. And he's the one who protected us. And so there's a profession of faith. And by the way, this is exactly what God promised to do. God told Moses and Joshua he would do this. Let me read it for you. You can turn there or just listen. Exodus 23, 27. He said, I will send my fear, God is saying, before thee, and will destroy all the people whom thou shalt come and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. Deuteronomy 2.25. This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee uh, uh, upon the nations that are under the whole heaven, who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. So God uh, God was already working. So before God sent the two spies in, he was already working in the heart of this harlot, and I believe he directed these two men to stay in the house of the harlot because she was seeking the God of Israel. And what God had already done, she comes to the conclusion that your God, Jehovah God, is the God of heaven above and earth beneath. How can this apply to us? When it comes to witnessing, God prepares heart for men for the gospel. When it comes to witnessing, God prepares the hearts of men for the gospel. Let me just share scripture with you. Our time is getting away very quickly. First of all, we know the Bible says no man seeks after God. Romans three eleven, There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. We know the Bible says the Father draws all men to himself. John six forty four, No man can come to me except the Father... Uh, except the Father which hath sent me, draw him. John 12:32. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. We know the Holy Spirit convicts the world. When, John 16, 8. And when he has come, he will prove the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. What I'm trying to say, when you felt led to witness someone, my friend, God is already working. We know that no man of himself would come to God. But the Bible says, Christ said, if I be lifted up, I would draw how many men? All. all men. That doesn't mean all men will come, but he draws all men. So that person you feel led to witness to, God is already working, God is already drawing, and the Holy Spirit is already convicting them. And here's another ministry he has in men's heart. In 1 Corinthians 3 6, Paul said, I have planted. Apollos is watered, but God did what? God gave the increase. So when you witness, you may plant a seed. No one gets saved. Somebody else comes along and waters that. And they still don't get saved. But my friend, God gives the increase. Here's what I'm trying to say. When you go to witness, God works before you. He works with you. And he works after you. God wants that person to get saved. So the person you witness to, you need to realize God is already working. Just like he's already working the heart of that harlot. He's working the person God's led you to witness to. He's drawing that person to himself. He's convicting them of a sin. Then you come to give the gospel. And he goes before you and praise the Lord. He goes with us. He'll use the word we share, the gospel message. And if they don't trust Christ, he'll work after them. Because God's word does not t- return what? Void. Void. So we need to learn from that. Last point, the last point, and the last principle, an example of God's amazing grace, an example of God's amazing grace. Look at it again in Joshua 2, verse 12. It says, Now therefore I pray you, sway, swear, me, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my Father's house. What he's saying, she's saying here, I've hid you. The king came to seek you out and possibly put you to death. But I hid you, and we know she lied about it, but they were still safe. And now the, uh, the, the soldiers were gone and said, listen, I want you to pray because I've showed kindness to you. I ask you to swear that you show kindness to me. Because when you come and attack our city, I want you, because the kindness I showed to you, that you spare my family. And that's exactly what they did. And we see her profession of faith in the latter part of verse 11. For the Lord your God, is he is God of heaven above and earth beneath. Now, how do we know from the New Testament that Rahab got saved? Let me give you two verses, please. Go with me now to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. So she asked these two spies, because I've showed you kindness. When you come back to attack our city and destroy it, please show us kindness. And, of course, they swore that they would do that. Hebrews 11, verse 31. Hebrews 11, 30, 31. This is what we call the Faith Hall of Fame. And he mentions several people. Because of their faith, how God used them in Hebrews 11, 31, it says, By faith, the what? The harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. So we're talking about by faith, she didn't perish. So she had faith in the God of Abraham, the God of Israel, and acknowledged him the God of heaven and earth. And by faith. Let me give you another one. Do not turn there, but James chapter two verse twenty-five, it says, "Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified when she had received the messengers and sent and had sent them out another way." In both cases, it bears out that she was saved and justified by faith. Let me tell you, "Amazing Grace," and we'll wrap it up. Let's go to Matthew chapter one, please. An example of God's grace. As you turn, let me ask you a question. Can God use a woman that was a harlot for his glory? Can God use a person that has a horrible background for his honor and glory? And the answer is yes. It gives all of us hope, does it not? That God can use us. In Matthew chapter 1, we have the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And in this genealogy, there are four women mentioned here that have a questionable background. There were two harlots. There was a Ruth, a Moabite. And there was a woman in adultery. And all of them are mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. I don't know about you. If I wanted to write a book with the genealogy of my family and there was a harlot in there, I'd leave her out. Wouldn't you? But notice here in chapter 1, verse 5, it says in part of the genealogy, and Solomon begat Boaz, Boaz of who? Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. And Ruth was a Moabitess, a foreigner. And Obed begat Jesse. And it goes on the next verse, and I don't have it with me right now, but it talks about begat David of Solomon of the woman of adultery. So they're talking about Bathsheba. Talk about God's grace. God's grace mentions a woman in the Old Testament was a harlot. Now mentions her in the genealogy of the Savior. God can use us in spite of our past. An example of God's amazing grace. Now let me close with this. What did the spies tell her to do? That when the army came to attack the city, they would spare her. They told her to put something outside the wall that they would seeing it, all those in that particular house would be spared. What did they say to put there? A scarlet. A scarlet cord. A cord that was used to remember they let the spies down. She lived evidently on the wall of the city and used that scarlet cord, to let them down so they could escape. It was what color? A scarlet, the scarlet thread. And I believe this represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a scarlet thread of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. The salvation has always been through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me give you a quick example I've got just a minute. Go with me now, if you would please, to the book of Genesis. A couple of verses and we'll close tonight. That when the, when the soldiers came and they saw the scarlet thread outside... The window of her house, everyone in that house was spared. That's what the spies promised would happen. God has and is and ever shall uh, bring salvation through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Test your Bible knowledge. Who's the first person in the Bible to sacrifice an animal? God did. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let me show it to you, please. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. In fact, if you would back up, yeah, chapter 3. First of all, look in verse 6. Let me tell you why that happened, and we'll wrap it up with this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Here's an account of man trying to make himself acceptable to God through his own efforts, which was unacceptable to God. Chapter 3, verse 6. And the woman, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was present to eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Verse 7, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were what? Naked. 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 And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. They realized that now they were unacceptable in their appearance before God. And so they wanted to make themselves acceptable to God. They sowed fig leaves. And by the way, this was unacceptable to God. Now look in chapter 3, verse 21. It says, unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord make c- coats of skins and clothe them. So the first person to offer an animal sacrifice or kill an animal was God himself in behalf of Adam and Eve. They realized they sinned. They were unacceptable before God. And they made themselves fig leaves to cover themselves up. For they saw they were naked. And God said, this is unacceptable. The works of your hand will never make you acceptable to God. So what did God do? God took an animal and killed the animal and, sh- and clothed them, the skins of that animal. God was sh- teaching them by this action, all the other descendants, that salvation and acceptance before God is always to a blood sacrifice. And God sacrificed the first animal, the salvation is by the shedding of blood. That's in Genesis, and we quote a verse and we'll close with this. In Revelation, from Genesis Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5, and and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our own sins in his own Blood. 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 Salvation has always been through the shed blood of Christ. There's are Scarlet Fred, people, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Right. The salvation is through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. I know we covered a lot tonight. We're going to cover chapter 3 next time. So I encourage you to read that. Let's bow together, please. <coughs> Father, thank you for your word and thank you for these wonderful stories of the Old Testament. Stories that are true. And though they're just stories, and information of history given to us, they're great principles we can learn from them. And Father, how we learned much tonight, we pray that we take the principle we learned uh, tonight and apply them to our hearts and lives for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.